welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it is the Sunday Night Pod going into Monday. Adam Spinella is not here, but Eric Name is here. And we're going to dive deep into the final third of our off-season recaps. The teams that we're talking about here, we have got Houston, Indiana, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Grizzlies, the Heat, the Wolves, the Bucks. The Pelicans and the Knicks, given that the Bucks are in the middle of these conversations, I thought Eric Name would be a great person to have on. Name, what's going on, buddy? Not a whole lot. Just chilling, waiting for uh, training camp to get started, waiting to see the actual product that Adrian Griffin brings to Milwaukee on the floor, <laughs> uh, as opposed to just theorizing what he might do. Actually yeah. getting to see it will be fun. Yeah, it's going to be really funny if they basically run the same exact offensive scheme when all of us are just speculating that, like, <laughs> oh, the butt air is over and it's going to change a little right. bit. Right. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. We'll talk about them a little bit later on. They're in the middle of this group of 10 teams that we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, I feel like we can probably just get started here, honestly. We can get a minute in and just go because this first team here is actually going to take a minute to talk about more than anything. It's the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets had maybe the most active off season of any team in the NBA. They signed Fred Van Vliet to a three year, $128 million deal. That last year is a team option. And there's a 15% trade bonus in that deal. All of these contract numbers, according to spot track, they signed Dylan Brooks to a four year, $86 million deal that, blew my mind they signed jeff green to a two-year 16 million dollar deal the last year there as a team option they signed jock lawndale to a four-year 32 million dollar deal with only the first year guaranteed they signed aaron holiday to a partially guaranteed one-year deal every uh buddy gone here is like kaminsky boban uh dacian nicks dj augustine at the draft, they had one of my favorite drafts. They ended up with two of my top five players in a men Thompson and Cam Whitmore, despite only having four and 20. And then for trades, they moved KJ Martin, Ty Ty Washington, Usman Garuba, and Josh Christopher, along with some seconds as part of sign-in trades in order to do the Dylan Brooks deal. They were just kind of cap-cutting moves and everything there, except for the KJ deal. It felt like that had been kind of bubbling for a while, especially if you read Kelly Eco over at The Athletic. Eric, when you see all of this, <laughs> the thing that comes to mind is I, 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 it's a lot. I think that the Rockets will look a lot more professional and competent this season. And that's the most important thing. It would look a lot better if Brooke Lopez was there, which speculatively, given some of the reporting, my guess is that that was a hope for them, that they could lure Brooke. That ultimately did not happen. But without Brooke even, this team is going to look much better. I mean, I think talking to people like you in Vegas over the years, I just kind of wondered if they thought like the inefficiency in modern basketball was finding more young shooting guards that wanted to chuck up shots like that was the inefficiency that that's what they needed more of because year over year over year they just kind of kept drafting those guys and it was like you can only have so many dudes that want to <laughs> chuck on the floor at one time like it's just it's not gonna work and you have to you know think about how these things fit together and they go from what was to me a very messy organizational plan and, and just how you were going to put a team together to something that 
while it still might not be at the top of the Western Conference, it might not even be in the middle of the Western Conference, at least it makes sense, right? Like, like there's a vision, yeah. like, okay, there's a professional point guard, you have a shooting guard, you have a young player that you, that you really like, you know, you have a, a center in Jack Landy, who, who might not be great, but he, he knows how to do things, he's professional. And I, I, to me, it's just like, everything makes sense. And and that's yeah. something I've wanted to see with the Rockets for a long time. So on the court, I think it's going to make a lot more sense. A big piece of that is actually another offseason move that they made. Uh, look, everybody you talk to league-wide says Steven Silas is like an unbelievable person. And I said this, I've already recorded, recorded the over-under win-loss totals podcast with Robbie Calland. And I want to be clear with Rockets fans. I think they're going to be very happy with what Robbie and I say there and have some, a little bit of like mild disappointment about what I say here, just in terms of like the process of all of this. But the most important thing to me outside of the Fred Van Vliet deal is that I think Steven Silas, while one of the great people across the NBA from people that you talk about, talk to uh, was overmatched is the head coach of this team. And Ime Yudoka at least has a one-year track record of being pretty good in Boston. I thought he was good that year with the Celtics. So they're going to be getting a real upgrade with the coach, and that will help lead to their competency. On top of it, Fred Van Vliet being out there, being a real decision-maker, a real professional, is really going to help. I mean, honestly, if I'm Steven Silas, I'm probably like a little bit pissed off that like, okay, you get rid of me and then you bring in a plan that makes sense. Like, could you imagine if Ime had a coach that other team, like just like with as strict as he can be and with as much of like, uh, ass kicker is not the right word, but like that kind of guy where it's like no nonsense, like he would have gone crazy with those teams the last few years. So like, I do feel bad for Steven Silas that, one, he is such a good guy, and he got stuck with whatever that was. Like, whatever that experiment yeah. was for the last couple of years in the post-James Harden world, pretty rough stuff uh, for him. But, yeah, absolutely. Like, I do think Ime is going to demand a lot more out of these guys from a professional uh, standpoint, a professionalism standpoint. And I just think overall, again, everything makes sense. The players that are there, that yeah. makes sense. The matching it up with the coach makes sense. And yeah, he might go a little bit crazy and, you know, be pulling his hair. Well, he doesn't really have arrow, but whatever, you know, pulling his hair out yeah. with some of the shots that some of the young guys are going to take and trying to make it all fit together, get developmental reps for the young guys while also making sure the veterans don't go crazy. Like it's going to be tough to balance. But like you said, in that one year track record, that does seem like something Ime is capable of and something that, you know, is, is pretty well suited for his strong suits as a coach. I think that's dead on. Here's where the process is going to be annoying for me. I respect that Dylan Brooks has been a good basketball player for the Memphis Grizzlies for a little while now. I think this is an entirely unnecessary signing. And in large part, that has to do with the fact that I think Tari Eason is really good. Like, I think he's actually, like, really, like, really, really good. I thought he was the second most impressive player I saw at Summer League this year, only behind Jabari Smith, who was probably the most impressive guy. Tari Eason looks like he's going to be ready to be a starter this year. 
I, I think that there is real overlap in giving Dylan Brooks this contract and then also now having Tari Eason, who's kind of resigned to being uh, kind of like the seventh or eighth man now. Like they're going to play Lawndale, certainly a decent amount. They're definitely going to play Kevin Porter, I think, off the bench. And he's that's a role he's just much more well suited to. I think it makes more sense in that way. Uh, but they're, they're going to have to play Tari real minutes because I think he's going to earn those minutes, which makes this just kind of a superfluous deal to me. And then on top of it, from a process perspective, moving like Ty Ty, Garuba, Josh Christopher, look, we'll talk about Ty Ty when we get to the Bucks because they've signed him to a two-way deal now. But like, I get that this is probably not going to crush them long-term you're betting on late first round picks. The hit rec rate is probably like 40% or something like that. In terms Honestly, of being probably rotation lower. players. Probably. Lower. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that you didn't use all of your cap space that you needed. And you move these guys that were like unnecessary to move. And that feels like an own goal to me uh in a in a way that should feel a little bit disappointing to Rockets fans in total I don't think you can look at this offseason anything other than like a real positive the other piece of this that we haven't talked about is Jacques Londale a ton I think Londale is legitimately really good uh I think he's a way underrated defender I think he is really really smart in terms of the way he uses his body and I think that he'll give them a real compliment to Alper and Shengun, just as a big who can step away and shoot a little bit, who just is always in the right space. That's a great contract, I think, for him. I also, I'm intrigued to see what their direction is now and how hard they go for wins and how quickly this develops. It's a, it's a winning offseason, no question. The process was a bit funky, and uh, I I think they'll be better, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, and I mean, so everything makes more sense, but there is still a plethora of talent there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned Tari Eason. You mentioned Jabari Smith being, you know, some of the most impressive players in Summer League. Um, Kim Whitmore... Uh, one MVP at summer league. He, yeah. he lit up summer league. Uh, Amen Thompson, another player that I think both Thompson brothers impressed at summer league. And those two guys are now, I don't know, nine, 10 in the rotation. It, so yeah. like organizationally, like it does make more sense, but there is still a lot of overlap and you are going to have to figure out, okay, when do we need the vets in to have our professionalism and make sure that these guys are learning the right things? But then also uh, how are these guys going to get the developmental reps that they need? And, you know, that was always to me, the big problem in Houston was that everyone needed reps and they didn't have any professionals that could set them up or role players that needed to, you know, take on a smaller role, less usage. So the guys that needed it could get it. I still think they have some of that problem. And that's even with deleting, you know, four young players that could have also used those reps in an offseason to clear space and make sure you had stuff on the roster. So um, I agree. 
it's positive. They're going to look better this year. Um, but yeah, it's some of the questions that I have are still there just to a slightly lesser extent. The last thing I'll note here is I think what these additions also do is they allow you to get a real evaluation on who your guys are. I, I don't know that I really want to like dive into the weeds on like evaluating Jalen Green and Jabari Smith and Alperin Shangun and, you know, Tari Eason and those guys. Right. But having Fred Van Vliet go getting around screens and like actually being willing to fight over the top of screens and having Dylan Brooks being willing to like fight over the top of screens and a men Thompson, who's like a big long athlete who fights defensively adding those three guys is really going to allow you to get a better evaluation on Alper and Shangun defensively and what he is because the first two years were pretty bad defensively for Shangun. Now you're going to find out what it is. At least Jalen green, having Fred Van Vliet next to him, letting him be the primary ball handler, having him move the ball and create real positive opportunities. It's probably going to create easier shots for Jalen green and not force him into a lot of difficult isolation possessions. Uh, you know, Jabari Smith, hopefully will have shots created for him, which is something that Steven Silas himself at one point uh, admitted he didn't do enough of uh, last season. So, all of these moves to me, more than anything, what they do is that it allows Houston to find out who its guys are, and it gives them a real sense of where this can actually get to moving forward. I th- I, I, yeah. Overall, I think it's a really positive offseason. Things make a lot more sense. And hopefully, as you're trying to build for the future, you just have a better idea of the dudes that you want around. And yeah, maybe that means some guys have lost some trade value. Maybe that means those guys aren't as valuable around the rest of the league, but there's plenty of teams that want to fill out the bottom of their roster with guys on rookie contracts or guys that are cheap or whatever it may be. And you can still make those things make sense going forward. So I I agree. I just think overall, everything makes more sense and there is the potential for down the road, having an even better idea of how to build this thing going forward. Yeah. Weird process, positive off season is where I'm at (laughs) on this. Let's go now to the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers are up here. Uh, second, the Pacers signed Tyrese Halliburton to a five-year, $206 million contract. That also includes Rose Rule language if he makes all, the All-NBA team this year. They signed Bruce Brown to a two-year, $45 million contract. That second year is a team option. Uh, they traded number seven to Washington for number eight in two seconds. They selected Jarris Walker, who I think they were going to take at number seven anyway. They Selected at number 26, they got Ben Shepard, a six foot five wing from Belmont, who I don't really think will play much this year, but has a chance to be a nice three and D wing. They moved number 29 and number 32 to Denver in a four team trade. I believe they received a 2024 first from Denver in order to do that. And then they also got number 47 and they selected Mojave King at number 47. They also, I think, took Isaiah Wong in the draft. I don't have that listed on the graphic, but I believe they did that. They had two trades, very simple ones. They basically moved Obi Toppin, uh, or they moved Chris Duarte to Sacramento for two future seconds, and they acquired Obi Toppin from New York for two future seconds. So basically just a swap of Toppin for Duarte, which I think makes sense for them organizationally, given how deep they are at the wings and in the backcourt. And 
they needed another four man with some size. So this is a smart offseason for the Pacers. I, I love everything they did this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think so much of what you can like or think about liking with the Pacers is about Halberton and just yeah. the type of player that he is. And it, I mean, we're going to see it in the World Cup. You're talking about like the kick ahead passes, the way that he sees the floor, the way that he shares the ball, the way that he can be on ball creator, shooter, score, do all of those things while still getting everyone involved. And I just think overall, when you you look at the things that they added, it's like, okay, um, Halberton throws the kick ahead pass better than just about anybody else in the league. Um, who would you want to catch that? I don't know. What about the guy in New York who maybe all he can do is be athletic and dunk, but Seems like a good dude to catch kickhead passes, right? Like that made sense organizationally. And yeah, if you develop the other things, there's some added value to get there. But just on a baseline level, the things that he does well complement Tyrese Halliburton. And Tyrese Halliburton complements him in a way that to me makes a lot of sense. Bruce Brown, great cutter. We saw how it worked uh, with Jokic. Is this an overpay? Yeah, of course it is. But to get players in Indiana to help Halliburton continue to make positive steps forward. That's the type of player you want to have around. Like just someone that cuts can make the next pass, can short roll, can do all of the things that make good basketball. And yeah, like it's not super exciting. The Pacers aren't going to win the central division. You know, it's not going to be like a massive step forward, but incrementally it makes sense. And I think, there's always this pressure in the NBA when you get one of these special young players, you have to decide, are we going to build it organically and slowly, or are yeah. we going to you know, push the chips in and make a splashy trade and try to put a second star next to this person? And I think so many times we've seen that if you do that, if you try to fast track it, one, the timelines aren't going to match up. That star that you traded for is probably going to be five years older than the guy that's just blossoming into a star. And then on top of it, it's just sped up the process of that person being unhappy with the organization for not making the right moves and putting you in salary hell, cap hell, you know, roster hell, whatever it may be. Like, it just puts you in a bad place. So to me, this just made... It might be a little bit boring. It might not be super sexy, but to me, it just made kind of sense as the next logical step for the Pacers. I think next logical step is such a great way to phrase that. It's a set of moves that allow them to get better, does not in any way hinder their flexibility moving forward, and also kind of sets them up to potentially try and be in the market for a star trade. Like they can offer a team at the deadline. Like if they, if they're really good and they want to like, really, if, if they decide Tyrese Halliburton is going to be one of the two best point guards in the NBA and we're ready to do this, you can give a team buddy healed and Bruce Brown on essentially expiring contracts to get up to like 40 plus million dollars uh-huh. in salary cap space. Or you can just have Bruce Brown who drastically helps your defense get way better, right? This was last season, the 26th rated defense in the NBA. They were not even very good when they were actually playing as opposed to late in the season after Halliburton when they were tanking. 
getting Bruce Brown, pairing him with Miles Turner will really help their defense. Uh, having Obi Toppin maybe be in between those guys as your screen and roll guy, you can have Miles Turner space at the corner and you can have Obi just rim run, right? That's what he was great at at Dayton. That's why he was a top 10 pick. Never got to do it in New York. He's going to get to do it in Indiana in a real way. We're going to find out if Obi Toppin can play or not. And I'm excited to find that answer out. With Ben Matherin, like he might be a guy. With Andrew Nemhard, Andrew Nemhard's like an awesome third guard to have. This team is super deep. They're going to be really, really fun to watch. And on top of it, they're going to be really hard to play offensively, I think. Like, this should be pretty damn close to a top 10 offense because all of the players they've acquired complement their star. And I think that's what they deserve a lot of credit for. I mean, honestly, I just thought with the pace that they played at last year, and and I mean – uh, there were games where Halliburton was out against the Bucks, and they were still a pain to play with. Like that pace, and now you have even more talented players. Like Indiana, for so many years, has kind of been, or you know, as they had to blow things up or you know move to the, like the current state that they're in. Like that was a sleepy Tuesday in Indiana, and if you're a good team in the league, you're going to come out with a win, and that's not the case anymore. You can't you can't just go in there, roll the ball out, and beat this team. Like they're gonna be a pain in the ass. Like you're gonna have to prepare for them. You're gonna have to come ready for them, or you're gonna watch them put up 130 points, and your coach is gonna be embarrassed by your effort. Like those are your options. Like that that's just, that's just like what it is. And yeah. those things happen in 82 game season. That that's totally to- that's totally how it works. But if the Pacers are that for every team around the league, that's just going to be a pain for everyone. And, and I do think, like you said, um, this is the next logical step as far as building something. But yeah, if you do really want to, you know, hit the fast forward button around the trade deadline, they have some big contracts that they could do it. They also may have some young players that are interesting, right? Like if, if Matherin has a great first half of the season and you want to make that trade, maybe he's that guy, maybe Obi Toppin rehabs his entire build as a prospect. You could include him as the guy that goes along with the contracts. Like, I I don't know. It, it, to me, it's just, again, we talked about this with the Rockets it, it, as the first team that we talked about. This is a, an offseason that made a lot of sense to me for the Indiana yeah. Pacers. Even if it isn't, you know, I'm going to win a bunch of, you know, who had the best offseason kind of list. Like, it just makes sense to me. Yeah, it opens up so many different options for them. Let's move on and talk about the Clippers now. Uh, the Clippers had a very, very quiet offseason. They signed Russ to that two-year basically $8 million contract. That second year is a player option. They signed Mason Plumlee to a one-year $5 million deal. They did not pick up that non-guaranteed deal on Eric Gordon because it saved them legitimately like $100 million. Uh, And then they acquired KJ Martin in that weird five-team Houston deal that I still don't think I totally know all of the machinations (laughs) with it. I just know that they they, they traded two seconds uh, to get KJ Martin basically. Right. So, and then on top of it, they selected Kobe Brown and Jordan Miller in the draft, two older guys that uh, might be able to play for them at some point soon. Uh, I'm, I'm maybe among the biggest Kobe Brown, Brown guys, like in, you are, 
You do I, love Kobe Brown. Like I did tell, like I can't, I don't, I truly don't remember when it was. I was just on the road at some point in like January last year and Kobe Brown was 60th on your list. And I was like, dude, that's a borderline Too first low. rounder. Like he's got to yeah. be higher. And you're like, yeah, I think he's going up in the next one. And then sure enough, he was at 30 <laughs> um, by the end of the process. But yeah, no, I, I'm a big fan of his game. Uh, but again, this is just kind of, I don't know. The Clippers are in such a weird place. It, to me, it's yeah. just really hard because when you look at Kawhi's health, it's, I mean, he just destroys teams. Like some of the playoff games that he's had in the last couple of years as he's battled through injuries, you're like, that's the best dude on the planet. No one can stop him. No one has any idea what to do with this guy. Yeah. The Clippers are going to win a championship. And then two days later, he's out for the season. And it's it's one super sad to see, right? Like you just wish he could stay healthy and it doesn't seem like it's in the cards for him. Like I think back to, you know, the Bucks first kind of real championship run Eastern Conference finals. And then Kawhi decides that he's going to guard Giannis on one side and dominate on the other. And the Raptors win four straight against the Bucks, and then they go to the finals uh, and, and then get a win there as well. And that was just, it, it was unbelievable how good he was. And we all get to see glimpses of it again, but you just can't trust his health. And I don't know how you build or try to build or think about the future or think about the now as the Clippers. Like I, I, I don't envy them in, in any way because I just think it's, planning for Kawhi and his injury history and what he's going to be is to me just a a nearly impossible task. Kawhi Leonard basically did not play like a ton of NBA basketball for 18 months because he played in five of the Clippers first 24 games. Right. So his, I believe last game in the 2021 season was sometime in like June And his first game of like when he really got back and started playing this year outside of those five and 24 games was December 5th this year. From that point forward, from December 5th onward, Kawhi Leonard was one of, I've said five. I think there's a real case. He was one of the three best players like on planet earth. Uh, Last season, like in the NBA, he played 47 games in that stretch of like, what would that be? 58 games. So he only missed 10. And then once the new year rolled around and once January 8th kicked in, he averaged 27 points shooting 53% from the field, 47% on five three-point attempts per game, 89.7% from the line, seven rebounds, four assists, 1.6 steals, only 1.8 turnovers. That's like breaking basketball good. Yeah. Uh, He was like, honestly, I've seen maybe Kawhi be better. Like that Toronto run maybe is better. It's, I, I don't know. It was close. Like it was right on that level. And that was last season. Right. So I, I get why if you're the Clippers, you're just like, let's run this back and let's hope Kawhi is healthy. 
the other piece of this is that both Kawhi and Paul George are still extension eligible. Like they can decide that we want to extend this further out. But if you're the Clippers, you also have a very complicated set of decisions to make now moving forward with your organization because it does feel a little bit stale. And if I was a Clippers fan, like I'd be frustrated, I guess, on some level with the fact that he and Paul George seemingly can't really stay healthy. I think that Robbie and I figured out in the over under win loss that the most games they've played combined in a season is like 108 out of potential 164. So it's hard. Like it's really, really hard to trust this group. And now there's discussion of it potentially being James Harden season. If the Clippers can figure that out. And obviously that works because it lines up with his contract expiring as well, potentially. So their off season feels like somewhat incomplete to me until we know what's going to happen with Harden. It also feels like a very clear decision to let this run its course for one more year. And Kawhi was so good last year that we can't even consider breaking this up right now. I mean, yeah, it, there, I mean, there's just been stretches of basketball in the last couple of years where Kawhi and Paul George have looked like, you know, two of the 10 best basketball players in the world. And that was the vision, right? That was the whole idea. Get those guys together and this is going to work. Two alpha wings can defend, can create, can score, can pass, can do kind of everything. And the vision made a lot of sense and the health just hasn't been there. So yeah, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't envy Lawrence Frank trying to make decisions with this roster. It, it it's just really hard because the highs are so high, right? Like, yeah. Because you've seen those tantalizing moments where you're like, that's it. That's why we did this it's really hard to give up on it and I can't blame them for not doing so. I, I I don't think I could, right? Like you, you seen it, it's, it's worked. So you almost have to run it back, but yeah, it it does feel like an incomplete grade for the off season. Cause I, we're just hanging out, right? Like we're just waiting to see kind of what ends up happening in the regular season over the past four years. So 2022, 2023, 2021, 2022, 2020, 2021, and then 2019, 20. Do you know what the Clippers net rating is when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are on the court together? I mean, if you're asking me, it has to be absurd. So we're going to go double digits somewhere like plus 12. It's plus 12.7. That's crazy. (laughs) That's wild. That is an insane number. That's, that's like why, that's why you can't give up on it. Like you just can't. That's like the equivalent of like a sixty-five win team, basically. Yeah, you just can't give and up. And look, they don't play every minute of the game. Like you're not going to be a sixty-five win team if you're plus twelve or whatever, right? Like it's. It, but they've been so good together that you have these guys under contract. You probably have to run it for one more year and see. And if it doesn't work because they can't stay healthy again. I get it. And we'll see what happens with James Harden if they get him. And I I like Russ bringing him back. Like, I think that 
it really worked much better. They let him get downhill and create and be attack minded. And they have enough spacing around Russ on this roster to where Russ can be Russ and can be that attack minded player in a way that really works. So it's fine that they decided to run this back. I I also don't know that I have a lot of trust in them either because I don't know if you can. Yeah, but it's it's impossible. There's there's just no way to have that trust. But also, if you have eyes, you've seen how good it can be. And yeah, it's tough. It's a really tough spot. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break. Then we're going to dive into the Lakers. And that is a that's a fun one coming up. Okay, we're back. Let's get to the Lakers. The most important thing that happened with the Lakers this offseason was signing Anthony Davis to a three-year $177 million extension that lasts all the way through 2028. The last year will be a player option there, but it's an exorbitant amount of money that he'd be turning down in that player option. The second most important thing was re-signing Austin Reeves to a four-year $53 million deal that almost certainly is going to be like a three-year $39 million deal because that contract is one of the best contracts in the NBA. And it's because... Austin Reeves was arenas rule limited and that rule is fucking terrible. I think (laughs) I get why it exists, Yeah, but like we should not be like artificially depressing the earnings of players that are also already restricted free agents. That feels pretty wild to me. Uh, They signed Rui to a three-year $51 million deal. D'Angelo Russell to to a two-year $36 million deal. They grabbed Gabe Vincent from Miami for a three-year $33 million deal that I believe encompassed their mid-level exception. Uh, They signed Jackson A's, Cam Reddish, Torian Prince. They waived Muhammad Bamba. They declined Malik Beasley's $15 million option. Gone. Eric Name, the minutes leader for the Los Angeles Lakers last year, Dennis Schroeder. Uh, gone also Lonnie Walker, Troy Brown Jr., Wenyan Gabriel. They drafted Jalen Huchfino in the first round. They traded 47 for 40, essentially, in a weird deal with the Thunder and, I believe, Nuggets. And they selected Max Lewis out of Pepperdine. Uh, trivia. After the trade deadline last year, not including the playoffs, where they made the Western Conference Finals, so obviously a very successful Western Conference playoff run. Do you know how many wins the Lakers were on pace for? Um, so you're saying their record after the All-Star break? Yeah. Over 82 games? Over 82 games. 44? 57.7. Okay. They, they went, I believe, 19-8 and eight after the deadline in the regular season. This team was like kind of a juggernaut. They were enormous. They were long. They were athletic. They defended against everybody. And I think that they've gotten better in the offseason. I'm not saying they're going to win 57 games, but I think this team is going to be really fucking hard to play. 
And a lot of it is just going to come down to if Anthony Davis stays healthy. The other thing that is not listed on this graphic, because I made the graphics before it happened earlier this week, the Lakers signed Christian Wood to a two-year, like $6.5 million deal, something like that. The last year is a player option. It's another piece of depth that allows them to potentially not have to play Jackson Hayes. Um, and more than anything, I think it provides a little bit of insurance for if Anthony Davis gets hurt. Uh, just the smallest amount. We're not saying that Anthony Davis and Christian Wood are comparable in any way, but if you lose Anthony Davis, the drop-off, where you drop off to is important in terms of accumulating regular season wins. Yeah, especially in a Western Conference, that's going to be, you know, pretty jam-packed. Like, making sure in those 15 games, in those 25 games, in those five games, maybe everything goes great, um, you know, you can kind of keep your level at, at a at a nice spot. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a, a team that really figured some things out uh, after the trade deadline. I mean, I think they figured out their identity. They're just going to be really big and just a pain for everyone to play against. Um, I think having depth is really important for them. Um, while LeBron James was awesome, again last season um he continues to get older and using up miles on him in the regular season is a bad idea so if you can get you know a secondary playmaker like austin reeves that can take even if it's just a percentage of usage Mm. from lebron for the whole season it that's huge like that's you know five ten plays a game where he doesn't have to you know rev the engine one more time and it's the same thing with anthony davis and just having guys that can you know as ad told dave mcmenamin you know earlier this week like i don't really want to play center and okay so if you have jackson hayes if you have christian wood if you have some size you can keep anthony davis at power forward more and hopefully his body doesn't take as much of a beating so i just think having depth is so important for this team and they've done you know, after, you know, maybe a questionable job of it last off season, which they managed to fix most of their mistakes at the deadline. Um, yep. It does seem like they have kind of a formula now that makes some sense that, you know, if there's nights you want to take the ball out of LeBron's hands, you can do that some, you know, if, if there's nights where you want to make sure Anthony Davis doesn't take a beating, you can do that some like to me, it's just a, it's a roster that makes a lot of sense during the regular season that can then hopefully get you to those minutes where you can, you know, really lean on LeBron in the postseason. You can really lean on AD to play more center and, and take more of that physical beating and be, you know, there were moments in the playoffs last year where that dude was just a world destroyer on defense. Like it, it was, it was just like, Oh my God, you can't score against the Lakers because Anthony Davis is everywhere. And and that's what you're hoping for is survive the regular season and yeah, get some looks at different lineups and versatility and different things that might also work in the postseason. but really just get through the regular season so that yeah. you're in a position where you can win once you get to the postseason. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And the other piece of this is that I think this team is very well equipped in terms of depth to be able to account for a lot of different situations. Say that D'Angelo Russell just doesn't have it one night. 
they can just go Gabe Vincent and Austin Reeves super easily. And that's going to totally work. Right. Uh, say that Anthony Davis, you don't want to play him in back to backs. You can run out a Christian Wood, Jared Vanderbilt starting front court. And with Vanderbilt and with Austin being like a smart team defender and with Gabe Vincent being aggressive as a defender and with LeBron James out there, as long as LeBron is like somewhat engaged, you can probably make that work a little bit in terms of insulation with Christian Wood defensively with that being like his main deficiency, right? So the guy that they can't really lose is LeBron, but I will say they at least now have a number of ball handlers like Gabe Vincent, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell to where they're not dead in the water in terms of shot creation anymore. Uh, if LeBron misses games, they can't lose both LeBron and Anthony Davis, but I think that they are more well-equipped to be without one of those guys. It points in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, this team is going to be miserable to play again, as long as those guys get to the playoffs healthy because they're going to defend. They have shooting, they have shot creation. They have the whole thing. It all just makes sense. And, And look like, Again, while I have not been the biggest Christian Wood fan, and I think I was the only person that like crushed that deal last year for the Mavericks, I thought it was terrible at the time. Did you as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was terrible, terrible at the time. Giving up a first-round pick for Christian Wood, not a good idea. Paying Christian Wood $14 million, not a great idea. Having Christian Wood on a essentially two-year, $3 million per year deal – where he is just an insurance policy for you off the bench. Great contract, yep. like fantastic deal. So all of this just completely makes sense to me as an off season for the Lakers. I, I think that this is, this was a home run for them across the board. This is one of my favorite off seasons that any team had this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm so intrigued with, you know, you know, general trends in the NBA and, you know, how these different things work and, you know, covering the Bucks. you know, one thing that I always end up talking about is, you know, can you play drop coverage? Cause Brooke Lopez is so big and, you know, can you, you know, have the right small ball lineups and like, that's all great, but you know, what has always been super effective in the NBA being fucking huge and being able to beat <laughs> everyone up. That's that's just been just that's worked. Big. That's worked for like the entire history. And yes, you need skilled people that can do all these yeah. different things and can be athletic. But the Lakers were just like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just get six, five, and taller guys that can move their feet and are strong. Yeah. And we're just going to be a pain to play against. And that's the you know that's the formula that the Bucks used when they won the championship in 2021. If you watch the Denver Nuggets. That's a big team as well, where it's just like, all right, uh, you don't really want to match up with our guys. Aaron Gordon's going to beat the crap out of you. All right, great. Good luck. I I hope your third biggest player can handle him. And, oh, you want to put the other guy on Michael Porter Jr.? He's just going to grab all the rebounds. So good luck. Um, That, to me, is fascinating, right? Like that, if we're looking at, you know, some of the powers in the Western Conference, you're looking at big teams, right? Like the the Warriors are still zagging obviously doing all the stuff that they do, but like the Lakers and Nuggets, those teams are huge. And and, and one team I'm excited to talk about 
is, and we'll get to that momentarily. They're in this group is Memphis. Do you know how fucking miserable it's going to be to play Memphis this year? <laughs> I was going to say. They have Marcus Smart, Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson, and Desmond Bain. They're just going to beat the shit out of teams. Yeah. Like, that's going that's to be their thing. Being big and being skilled is what you want to be in today's NBA. Right. Like, it's not just a small ball thing. It, it, it's a skill ball thing yep. more than anything. And as big as you can be while being skilled, that's the critical, critical thing. The Bucks for years – have had this down yep. and the Lakers, I think did a great job of kind of accentuating that this year. Totally agree. And, and honestly, you know, like the fact that Austin Reeves can be a big guard and do some of that, you know, Gabe Vinson isn't the biggest dude, but he's, you know, built on heat culture and you, that you have to be tough and you have to be strong uh, when you're doing those things. And, you know, like we barely talked about Jared Vanderbilt and v- Jared Vanderbilt's another one of those guys. Like it, the, Everything again. Um, we've hit on a number of these teams. Uh, I feel I, honestly, I feel like I should have more takes, right? I should be like, oh my god, this is a terrible offseason. But everyone that we've talked about thus far, it just has had an offseason to me that has made sense. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on and talk about Memphis now. I didn't even realize that they were next, to be honest. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, who we just noted are going to be absolutely miserable to play. This offseason, they signed Desmond Bain to a five-year, $197 million extension. It has $8.7 million in incentives. It's not rose-ruled, I believe, uh, based on spot track. I'm not a 1,000% sure on that, um, but I believe it's not. Uh, they signed Derek Rose to a two-year, $6.6 million deal. Uh, in terms of who's gone, there will be two guys that aren't on this roster that are currently on the roster. It's just we don't know who they are like they have guaranteed deals on this roster and they have to get rid of two my guess is isaiah todd will be one of them and then i don't know who the second will be the big move that they made this year was acquiring marcus smart from boston for tyus jones and two first round picks one of which was number 25 in this draft the other one is going to be a golden state 2024 first so later first round picks but giving up tyus jones and two firsts for marcus smart uh, they signed and traded Dylan Brooks to Houston in that deal. They get Josh Christopher, the rights to Vanya Marinkovic, who actually is playing for Serbia in the World Cup right now. And then they also open a $7.5 million trade exception within that deal. And then they did this really fun like pick swap deal with Phoenix where they acquired Isaiah Todd and they did uh, they acquired first round pick swaps for 2024 and 2030 as well. And then they gave up three seconds in that contract and that deal as well. Basically just betting on Phoenix, not being good by 2030 and being able to like get some awesome pick. It's a smart move. I love this Memphis front office. I think Zach Lyman does a great job. They're just creative in the way they think about things. I was Uh, just going to say, I love being able to have a Rolodex of nerds like you that can tell me how fun this deal is and mean it fully sincerely. Like I, I love you, Sam. It's the best. It's, it's, it's super fun. Like I I remember when it happened, I think it happened while we were at the athletic like Mm -hmm. summit for the, like when we were at that bar. Yeah. yeah. And I, I looked at it and I was like, what is this? I I forget who I was talking to. It might've been Hollinger. And I looked at John and I was like, what 
what is what is this? <laughs> then I realized that Phoenix needed second round picks just to be able right. to like make moves moving forward, given that they're going to be way into the tax, so they can't trade certain things. But yeah, super nerdy, but I love it. <laughs> and we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, expend a crazy much a crazy amount more time on it. Two things that I want to talk about here more than anything. First, this Desmond Bain deal. I saw some people go like, "Oh my god, how is Desmond Bain getting two hundred million dollars?" This is a, this is who he is. Like this is who Desmond Bain is, and this is what he is worth. Uh, according to EPM last year, in terms of estimated wins, Desmond Bain was. Let's see here. Where did he fall in the group? He was worth eight point three wins. Uh, he was a plus four player last year in only fifty eight games. Like he missed quite a bit of time. Uh, this is per dunksandthrees.com. EPM is considered uh, the best all-in-one metric right now, uh, according to NBA teams, at least in the public sphere. Uh, the year before that, he was worth 10 wins. 10 wins is when you start to get into like borderline all-star territory. This this is a deal. This is what he's worth. Uh, he's very pliable. He can run him off ball, off of all sorts of actions. He spaces the floor for your stars. Desmond Bain's an awesome player. When you saw this deal, you had none of that sticker shock, right? Uh, what is it like 21, five and four while being a 40% three point shooter. And I don't even know how many takes a game. Um, that's what guys like that get paid. He's really good. Especially ones that can defend too. Like I I know coming in the draft, like there's what the concern about his arms, right? Like he's got T-Rex arms a little bit. Um, and, and he was a little bit older, but I mean, he's just a really good basketball player. Like everything that you want from a two guard he can do man like he's he's really tough he makes good decisions in the pick and roll he can create a little bit he can create his own shot he can hit it you know he can hit threes off movement he can do side steps he can do like he can hit jumpers off the bones to in the mid-range like he just he's he's just insanely efficient he's still young um yeah i mean to me that that's a no-brainer And also, uh, I hate to be, well, the cap will go up over the years, guy, but the cap will go up over the years. And these things always tend to look better, Uh, not for every player, but for young players that are just beginning to hit their prime or maybe not even there yet. um, These things look better over time. As as the cap grows, you you get that kind of inflation with that. Like, there's... It was a no-brainer, and he's a very good basketball player. The second deal here is the Marcus Smart deal. When you saw this, what was your reaction in terms of what Memphis is doing here? I mean, so to me it was first like, oh my gosh, Celtics traded Marcus Smart. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know if you could think anything else. Like He's just been so synonymous with that team, that organization – with what they're about, that that was my kind of first thought of it. And then I I think my second thought is, I just think over the years, because Marcus Smart can be so outlandish um, and, you know, kind of do all these different things, you know, maybe take some bad shots at times. uh, In my head, I was thinking like, you know, who's well-versed in, defenders that are a pain in the ass and sometimes take bad shots. 
the Memphis Grizzlies. They know what that's all about. <laughs> like if there's yeah. any experts in the field, it's them. And I don't think he's as erratic as Dylan Brooks. I don't think yeah. he is, you know, as, you know, much of a chucker as Dylan Brooks. Like he does take a lot of threes and stuff like that, but he's also a great passer and a great playmaker. And, you know, one of those yeah. guys that can really connect everything that you do on the floor and, and really everything that you want offensively. Like he was the reason why the offense somewhat worked. And I know there's always the the thought that he's not a good enough point guard. And that was why the Celtics were never going to go anywhere because they didn't have a real point guard. But like that wasn't Marcus Smart's fault. Like yeah. he's, he's a connective tissue guy. And I just think you keep that toughness, you, you keep it together. And I, I will say I'm really fascinated what happens in the 25 games without John ja, ja Morant. Like yeah. that to me is one of like the bigger storylines, like how well they survive that is going to dictate a lot of the Western conference, right? Like w- we talked about, you know, can Anthony Davis stay healthy? Can LeBron stay healthy? That will be a big storyline in how all of this plays out. Um, but like how well the Grizzlies survive those 25 games without Ja? And then I guess the 10 games where he comes back and then they have to adjust to Ja being back on the floor while they had already adjusted with Marcus Smart. You know, like, again, you're looking at 35 games of the season where they're going to have, have to figure some stuff out. Uh, there's a real possibility that they are just – you know, a machine in the final 50 or 45 games of the season. That's possible. Um, so, so it's 25. To, so yeah. So right. it's a, yeah. But like how 50, you get through, 55. Yeah. So how you get through the first 25 and then the next 10 is you readjust. Like, I just think that's a massive story in the Western conference. I completely agree. My assumption is that they play Marcus smart at point guard and it's like smart Bane, Jaron Jackson and Steven Adams and holy shit, what a miserable team. If they play like David Roddy, like that's just like the thick, the, the thick lineup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like the, the real jacked lineup. Oh. Uh, but like they could go Zaire Williams. They could go Jake LaRavia. They could go a number of different ways. They could go Luke Kennard. I would imagine they probably want Kennard's offense off the bench though, with that group. Um, the thing about the thing that I love about this when you try and project them to the playoffs, because ultimately that's a little bit more important to me, I think in terms of like making a Marcus smart deal more than these 25 games, right? You have now John Morant, Desmond Bain, Marcus smart, Jaron Jackson. That's your four that you're closing with like your ride or die for. And you can play any player with those four. If it's a team where you're playing big, let's rock Steven Adams out there. Uh, Or Santi Aldama, if you need like big with skill, right? Uh, If you need shooting out there and you just need like the burst of offense, Luke Kennard is totally insulated with that group defensively, right? You don't love having John Morant and Luke Kennard out there in terms of like multiple matchups to attack, but you can make it work. Uh, You can play Zaire Williams with that group. You can play Jake LaRavia or David Roddy with that group. You can play like Derek Rose with that group. If you like, if Derek Rose is better than he was late in his career at New York, Um, there is just a lot there to have. Like there's still a lot there at the end of the day. I I love it. I think it is a fantastic, fantastic move for the Memphis Grizzlies. I I love that trade. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I do wonder, you know, like we were talking about the Lakers figuring out like, oh, we should just be massive. And the Grizzlies have kind of gone the same direction. And, you know, I think over the years, like everyone's trying to match up with LeBron and, you know, you try to figure those things out. And it's like, is has everyone in the West just kind of decided like, well, we're going to, we're going to have to go through Jokic, right? Like yeah. we're going to have to do it. So we might as well load up and be ready to just be tough and be able to switch and, you know, be able to handle all of the things that the Nuggets throw at you because Jokic is just kind of hitting his prime. And I just think, you know, you look at this Grizzlies team and that's like a lot of what it feels right. Like, like where it's just like, all right, we got to find a way to get tougher because Jokic will find a way to punish you and we need to be big and physical and make him work and make Aaron Gordon work and, you know, make Jamal Murray work, like all of those things. Um, It, it, to me, like the Western conference is just in this really fascinating place right now where it's big and we're going through like the middle of section here in the alphabet and just a bunch of teams that are going to be a pain in the ass to play. It's not going to be fun in, in the Western conference playoffs. Yeah. Memphis is interesting because I think they are probably the team that is best positioned to cause Denver problems if John Morant can improve defensively and not be a total sieve. Uh, He needs to be able to not be that uh, because otherwise I think Denver will relentlessly attack him. Um but if he can get better there, this team is very well equipped to like be on the level with Denver right. uh, moving forward. And we'll see whether or not that happens. But Memphis's offseason, I loved it. Uh, I-, I thought it was a-, a really, really sharp offseason. I think they're better than they were last year. Uh, it's just those 25 games without Ja, uh, you know, th- they're over under, I think is like 46. And like all of the fundamentals say that you should probably take the under. Um just without job, but I don't know. Let's uh, let's move forward, though. Let's go to the next team, the Miami Heat. Honestly, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the Miami Heat because they didn't do much, and because I've done a whole podcast already speculating on Damian Lillard deals and why I think the market dictates that Miami makes the most sense for Damian Lillard, and there's just not much more to talk about here that isn't speculative. Josh Richardson got signed to a two-year $6 million deal. Kevin Love signed a two-year $8 million deal last year player option. They signed Orlando Robinson. And I want to talk about Orlando Robinson very quickly. Uh, He was very good at summer league. Signed Thomas Bryant to a two-year $5.4 million deal. Uh, They drafted Jaime Jaquez, the most heat culture player in the history of heat culture in the draft. Uh, And then they traded Victor Oladipo in two seconds to Oklahoma City created a $9.4 million trade exception. Uh, they signed and traded Max Struess to Cleveland, who got a four-year $62 million deal, uh, along with a second for a second from San Antonio. They create a $7.2 million trade exception in that deal. Uh, anything here stand out to you, Eric? I mean, I just uh, – we're on hold, right? Um, yeah, like it's you go up and down the roster, and they got a bunch of heat culture guys. Um, and if nothing happens, uh, I have a feeling they're going to be a pain in the ass to play next year in the playoffs. Um, at, yeah. watching them this year, um, it it is just a 
it is just amazing to kind of see some of the things that Jimmy Butler can do um, when he is insanely aggressive. Like I know our friend Seth Partnos talks about it a lot, right? Like when he, he turns on the, on he flips the switch and he's insanely aggressive. He is just unbelievable. That 56 point game he had against the Bucks. Um, Ivan, and again, Ivan covered Drew Holiday for his whole career. Uh, but in the three years that he's been with the Bucks, um, I've never seen anyone treat him like that. It, it was, it was absolutely as, uh, absurd, and and yeah. that's just kind of the guy that Jimmy Butler can be, and that's why you know you think about pairing him with a guy like Damian Lillard, and then you kind of complete all of it, right? Like everything makes sense, um, and, and you can be a, a really really tough out in the Eastern Conference. Um, we'll see if they get there. It seems like everyone still feels uh, pretty confident that this is like the only trade that's really out there. Obviously, Damian Lillard made his trade request to specifically the Heat, but even just looking around, like it's the spot that also makes the most sense. Like as far as like teams that could put trades together and actually want to trade uh, for Damian Lillard, who who has a, a massive contract at the moment as well. I lined up all of that on a previous episode i think with adam or mark or someone like that and and what the conclusion i came to is i think that miami even though they don't have the most like assets in the chest they probably still among the teams that realistically would be willing to offer something can have the most incentive to offer everything basically and thus are well positioned to have the best offer potentially for a Damian Lillard move. I've come up, I haven't sent you my weirdo Milwaukee deal to get Damian Lillard to Milwaukee yet. Uh, maybe I'll send that to you after it's like a <laughs> weird check five team monstrosity that I created uh, or four team monstrosity. I don't know if it even makes sense to be honest, but I think that Milwaukee might be like the team that makes the most sense other than Miami. Right. Maybe if they were willing to move Drew, and I don't know if I would move Drew. Maybe I honestly, I probably would for Dame, but sure. Drew is such an intrinsic part of their culture. If you are going to do it, maybe you do it when there's a new coach, et cetera, et cetera. I digress. Right. Um, if you want to listen to the breakdown of the Damian Lillard market, go back, Go to the YouTube channel. You'll be able to find it super easily. It's the Damian Lillard like trade something. I titled it. Uh, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go do everything there. That is the best way to get the show, to get everything you need on the show. You're looking at beautiful graphics if you're watching it on YouTube right now, where you can see very clearly everything Eric and I are talking about. Please go to the YouTube channel, subscribe. And if you listen on the podcast feed, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Just continue to do that as well. But... Uh, the YouTube channel does give you these nice visual mediums as well that really help. I think it's probably worth moving on from Miami uh, at this point, other than to say, I think Orlando Robinson is next among the group of like, how the fuck did the heat find this guy? Right. Uh, dudes. Uh, he was all summer league this year. I thought he's terrific at summer league. He averaged 21 points. Uh 11 rebounds and three assists last year in the G League in 16 games. I thought he was pretty impressive in the tape that I watched of him there. Can occasionally step out and shoot. I think he has potential to do that longer term. Uh, I think he beats out Thomas Bryant for their backup center spot this year. 
and ends up being like a useful guy for them. Okay. Now let's go to your team, the beautiful Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks fired Mike Budenholzer and have brought in Adrian Griffin. That is the first thing that we have to talk about. Beyond that, it was mostly a decision to run it back that could have gone sideways in a real way and ultimately did not. Uh, they signed Chris Middleton to a three-year $93 million deal. They signed Brooke Lopez to a two-year $48 million deal. They signed Malik Beasley, Robin Lopez, Jay Crowder to minimum deals. They signed A.J. Green, kind of a sneaky, fun floor spacer, to a three-year $6.3 million deal after he showcased some impressive things last year. Uh, Gone from this roster, Javon Carter, Goran Dragic, Wes Matthews, Joe Ingles, Myers Leonard. The Javon Carter not one is the big one there. He was actually pretty terrific for the Bucs last year. And then... They acquired number 36 at the draft for a future second in cash. They selected Andre Jackson Jr. We'll talk about that momentarily. Uh, and then they also selected Chris Livington, Livingston, a 6'6 wing from Kentucky. Eric and I broke all this down over at the website uh, last week. By all means, go read that if you want to. I'll, you're the expert on the Bucks. I will give you the floor to take this in any direction you want to now that I've laid out everything that they did. Yeah, I mean, so it's a it's a weird off season in a way for the Bucks because um, I think from the outside you look at it and you say, "Well, you won a championship in twenty twenty one, you didn't in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, and now in twenty twenty four you've brought back the same core six players that won a championship in twenty twenty one. Why are you expecting?" the you know result to be any different now three years later it hasn't worked the last two years you haven't been able to win another championship um and you know obviously Giannis made the comments that he did to the new york times uh last week where you know it's everyone pushing the same direction for a championship and uh the team and the organization doing that and you're thinking oh i see what Giannis is saying like they're not doing anything different or exciting and i, I just think the realities of the salary cap and the realities of, you know, how all of this works really kind of made that the only way that you continue to contend next season, right? Like if you lost Brooke Lopez to the Houston Rockets, it would have been disastrous. Like it, and that's not hyperbole. Like that's not hyperbole. That's not anything extra. That's just the truth. You were you weren't going to have the money to sign a different center. You weren't yeah. going to be able to go out there and find someone, you know, like half the caliber of, of Brooke Lopez, let alone the full Brooke Lopez. Like that just wasn't going yeah. to happen. If I, I, I truly yeah. think if they had lost Brooke Lopez, they should have strongly considered like pivoting in an entirely different direction, like trying to like sign and trade Chris Middleton somewhere, uh, and move drew like I, I, that's how fundamental i think right. brooke lopez is to their like institutional core and by the way i thought he had a real case to win defensive player of the year last year he's still as good as he is defensively and like a real floor spacer for a team that needs it at the center position brooke was unbelievable last year uh, they had a West Coast trip last year where, if you remember, Brook Lopez gets ejected in Sacramento for fighting the entire team. Um, <laughs> but in that game, 
he had outplayed Sabonis. And I remember going into the locker room and thinking, holy shit, is he third team all NBA center? Like, yeah, that's how good of a year he was. And ultimately that would, that was not accurate, right? Like he would, Sabonis had a great year, deserved it, everything that everyone else deserved it. And Brooks shouldn't have been third team all NBA, but it, the season went that well, like where he was shooting the ball so well from the three point line. He was amazing on defense where it was just like, wow, this is unbelievable in his 15th NBA season that he could be doing this. Um, the same things could all be said for Chris Middleton. Obviously, Chris Middleton was hurt. But again, if you lose Chris Middleton to whatever team decided to step up and you know, try to sign him, um, that would have been disastrous as well. And to me, it's like they needed to get everyone back, get everyone on contracts, and running it back is not exciting. But if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, I think you can – certainly I've made the argument – if Chris Middleton is healthy two years ago in 2022, I think they have a real chance of being the Boston Celtics, going to the NBA Finals, and repeating as champions. Last year, if Giannis doesn't get hurt against the Miami Heat, I think they beat the Heat, and then we saw the run that the Heat went on in the Eastern Conference. I don't think there's any reason to think that the Bucs couldn't have done the same thing and put themselves in a position to you know, have a, a really fun series against the Denver Nuggets. Like All of that could have happened but that's not how this works sometimes there are injuries and sometimes you don't get to do it but that has led to an offseason that by you know any measure is boring right like this is this is a flat out boring offseason and we can get into some of the things that might be exciting but if you just look at the transactions pretty boring offseason they ran it back and they're going to go for it again with the same core six guys between Giannis, Chris, Drew, Brooke, Bobby, Pat as your top six that they've had for the last four years. That's boring. But also, there's a real chance that it could work. There's a reason why they're among the title favorites in Las Vegas as we record this podcast right now. So this was the year to get everything locked into place. And if it doesn't work, Chris Middleton is on a very tradable contract. Brooke Lopez we'll be making $23 million uh, next season or $25 million this next year. And then 23 in the second year of that deal, you could trade him Holiday, You could trade it. Like you can then make the deal if you need to blow it up and you feel like, you know, you really need to please Giannis to make sure that he still feels like you're, you're trying to do it. You have that opportunity. And, and that more than anything is why it was a boring off season, but I think ultimately a successful one for the Bucks because they are still in, in a position to contend for a championship for what will be, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the sixth consecutive season that they have a real title shot at the start of the season. And that's just not something we see in the modern NBA. So the one move they did make, and the reason that I think like Bucks fans aren't pissed that they're running it back, right? They are making at least one substantive real adjustment. And it's Adrian Griffin is the coach now, as opposed to Mike Budenholzer. I feel a few different ways about this. Uh, On one hand, I think that Budenholzer very clearly developed a scheme around Giannis that made Giannis not just one of the 10 best players in the league, but the best player in the league. I would have voted Giannis MVP last year. I said that at the time. And I thought there was, uh, I think he did not get nearly as much traction as he deserved in that case. Uh, 
look, I think Jokic is the best player in the world right now. He deserves to have the belt. I think that's a reasonable thing to say. But I think Giannis was incredible in the regular season last year. Uh, and I think that he was well-deserving of being in that conversation. What the change to Griffin does is it potentially, we don't know this yet, but potentially changes things. Adrian Griffin is talking about running a scheme that includes a bit more ball movement as opposed to Budenholzer running a scheme that could get a bit stagnant in terms of spacing. Uh, You have guys spacing in the corners or on the wings and you're running like a single primary action at the top. But when you have dudes like Chris Middleton and Giannis and Drew Holiday, it works that way. Uh, But it can be game planned maybe is a fair way to put it. If you have the right personnel to cause issues for it, as Miami has shown uh, in the playoffs a couple of times now, it could be a situation where Adrian Griffin is trying to find different ways into sets in order to create a little bit more movement and make it a little bit harder for teams to guard Giannis, to guard Chris Middleton, et cetera, et cetera. Having said that, it could also lead to a circumstance where the offense does not look as good because Mike Budenholzer's scheme is not being run, and that has been the best scheme possible. They're also talking about playing a little bit faster this year, which is interesting to me because, in general, uh, Milwaukee played like pretty quick under Budenholzer. Yep. They were 10th in pace last year. So if they're going to really try and run, that's just fascinating to me. And then on top of it, they're also talking about playing like super pressure defense. Like everything that I've seen from Adrian Griffin says like they want to like really get into people's shit defensively at the point of attack. And it's fascinating, like in terms of strategies here, like I, I don't know what that looks like. Uh, and I don't know what all of this looks like, but maybe it'll look the same just in a different cloth, but it might look different. And that creates variance in some way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I'll try to address a couple of the topics, you know, individually, right? Like, so yeah. the, the Bucks, the Bucks offense was based on isolation play under Budenholzer. You have three spectacular isolation players in Giannis and Chris and Drew. So it makes sense that you would do that, but that meant in the playoffs, you were going to win ugly, right? It meant you were going to have to be great on defense and the offense was going to have to score just enough to to keep winning games and it was probably not going to be pretty um but i I do think what that created is incredibly easy reads right like if you are that person in isolation um if you're chris middleton and you catch a ball on the left block where you love just you know being able to dominate people with your size uh double team comes you know where the kickout passes are there's four of them and you know exactly where they're going to be on the floor, it's easy. If you're Giannis, doing the same thing. Okay, if you're Giannis, mid-spin move, you can throw a pass blind over your head because you know someone's going to be in the corner. If you go to a system that has more offensive movement, more unpredictability, um, those reads aren't as simple. And that could be great. That could be something that, is the next evolutionary step for all three of those guys offensively. Um, yeah. And, and that could take them to a brand new level or it could be too challenging. It, it, it could, it could not work in that same way. 
Um, it could lead to a lot of turnovers. It, it could lead to ugly basketball and guys cutting on top of each other. Like, so it, to me, that's like the interesting thing is that there was clear logic behind the things that they were doing before, but that it doesn't mean you can't set up a new system that has clear logic behind it as well and can work for these players in their strengths. And that to me is like where the fascinating part of all of this comes about, right? Like it, yeah. you, you mentioned pace. The Bucks, I think, to me, were among the teams that have figured out that you can really juice up your pace if you take threes early in the shot clock. And yeah. it it didn't show, it doesn't show up a ton in transition possessions. It shows up in oh my god, I forget how NBA.com semi-transition or whatever it is. It's like the spot between like 18 and 15 in the clock. Yeah. You talked about Javon Carter and him being good. Javon Carter loved taking threes in that spot. <laughs> like that was like he knew he could get him up. He knew yeah. that he could hit him. He's a great shooter. It was like, all right, this is how we're going to create pace. We're going to take a bunch of shots, not at the very, very start of the shot clock, but between like 18 and 12, that's when we're going to get shots up. That's like the nice spot for efficiency. And that's how the Bucks create a lot of pace. But they didn't get out on the run a lot. They didn't cause a lot of transition opportunities with steals and stuff like that like under Mike Boonholzer you were going to not foul and you were going to control the defensive class those those are the two things like and that's a bud defense if you go on cleaning the glass and you do the defensive stats for bud's career it's not something you can do but if you did the hawks you did the bucks put them in a row those two categories are going to be all red that's exactly what bud wants to do I don't think that's what Adrian Griffin is going to want to do. I think it's going to be a lot of turnovers. It's going to be trying to, you know, really force teams into some ugly decisions. And as you said, that just creates variance. And I think if you're a Bucks fan overall, that's where the excitement from a quote, run it back off season comes is that yeah. you don't know what Adrian Griffin's going to do. And even if you did, it's going to be different than what they were doing previously. And yeah. that is where you can get the, you know, kind of the changes out because over the last five seasons, no one has won more regular season games than the Milwaukee Bucks. And like that, they've been very good. And that might mean they're going to win fewer games in the regular season, but the whole that's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Maybe there's something different there. So I'll give people a little hint. Like we talked about uh, the fact that I've recorded the over unders podcast already. I ended up with the Bucks as like a lean under. Like I, I want to stay away from this because it's variant and like it doesn't seem sure. like a thing that you actually want to bet on. But like I want to stay away from this largely or I want to lean under because I think there's just going to be some experimentation as much as anything with this group. Like I, I think that they're going to try some different things. Some of it will work. Some of it won't. They have to try and find like a bit more of a bench outside of Bobby and Pat. Like they, they need to do a few things here and like they are kind of set up for an interesting trade as well. Like Grayson Allen's on an expiring deal. Uh, they have a few young guys now that are somewhat interesting that you could theoretically look to move. I- I'm just very interested. And then they don't have a backup point guard, which is one thing that I know you're intrigued by. Like, you know, yeah. Andre Jackson could be a backup point guard. Ty Ty Washington could be a backup point guard. Uh, they might, my, my guess on what they're going to do currently is they're just going to play Drew with the bench unit and stagger him and Chris right. and make it so that one of those guys is always on the court and they run the show. But if one of those guys goes down, that's where the real 
issue comes up and those guys have tended to miss games the last couple of years. So it's, it's interesting to try and determine all of this. And I'm trying to, I guess we talked about it earlier when we talked about Houston um, and like the idea of you have to balance professionals and winning and developmental reps and the bucks aren't similar in like where they are as like as a franchise. But I think where it gets really interesting is like, you remember what, like I remember walking into the bucks locker room at the end of December, they had had 13 games in 26 days. They're in the middle of a losing streak and the vets were pissed off. (laughs) They don't like losing like, that Brooke Lopez is miserable when they're losing. Giannis is miserable. Chris is having a bad time. Drew's having a bad time. And then sure enough, they get everyone healthy. And I think it's 25 and seven in the final 32 or something like that. Like they just go crazy and everyone's happy again. And like to get all of the things that we're talking about, to get the variance, to get like the, the general ideas of new things happening during the regular season the dudes at the top, those six guys that I was talking about that are championship proven that have done the thing, they got to be on board. They got to yep. be like, all right, we might lose a couple times this year in, in games that we don't want to lose because Marjan Bocham played 28 minutes and was one of 10 from the three-point line or Andre Jackson had six turnovers or whatever it may be. Like they have to be okay with it. Because if we're talking about getting that variance and getting those different things, that's the only way to get it. And yep. and that to me is is really where it's fascinating, right? Because that's what you're looking at in a new coach, being able to handle those relationships. And, you know, this is the first time coach kind of finding his way through that. And, and I do think it's going to be a pretty tough test to make sure you, you keep everyone on the same page, you keep everyone happy and, and you get the, what should be new and exciting things out of the roster in that way. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now Uh, the Timberwolves signed Anthony Edwards to the max deal, you know, has Rose rule language, everything involved there. They signed Nas Reed to a three year, $42 million deal last year, player option signed Troy Brown and shake Milton to essentially one year deals with a non-guaranteed deal or year attached on the end of it. They signed Nikhil Alexander Walker to a two year, $9 million deal gone. Torian Prince, uh, Jalen Noel, Austin rivers, Nathan Knight, they acquired my guy, the icon, Leonard Miller, for two second-round picks at number 33. I think Leonard probably won't be able to play this year, but soon. Leonard is a rookie that will play uh, eventually. Uh, and then they got Jalen Clark, who I believe signed a two-year two-way because he's going through an Achilles uh, recovery right now. So a good move by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, the thing worth noting is that they have a lot of guys extension-eligible still, Jaden McDaniels is essentially in a contract year. I wonder if they get an extension done there before the October deadline. Rudy Gobert is extension eligible. Mike Conley is extension eligible. Jordan McLaughlin. I also think that Cat could add a couple of years to his deal. I don't think they would do that necessarily. But nonetheless, this was a run it back team where they just try and fin- uh, fix the bench up a little bit. I don't think we need to spend a crazy amount of time on Minnesota their growth isn't really going to come from what they did this off season. It's more going to come from 
having Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert try and develop some more synergy together, growth from Anthony Edwards, growth from Jaden McDaniels, and then additionally having Mike Conley around after acquiring him at the deadline and having him play with Rudy Gobert and potentially trying to wring as much as you can out of that. Yeah, I mean, I was on uh, Nerder She Wrote with the the Athletic NBA show last week, and we were talking a little bit about like Anthony Edwards. And um, I mean, it's just a fascinating spot where like he was great last year and he had that great playoffs. Um, And I'm really curious like to see what the next step is for him, because like even though he did that, like he wasn't all NBA last year. Like he, he was like, starting to flirt with being a part of that conversation and doing those things, but like he wasn't all the way there yet. So like that next step for him, I I think is really fascinating and how that works with the evolution you were talking about of how Carl Anthony Townsend and Rudy Gobert work together and like how this team works together. Like this is just a, it's a really fascinating basketball experiment. And like, I, I think when the trade happened for Gobert, obviously we all looked at it and said, you gave up how much? Um, but I think the other side of the deal was like, if Carl Anthony Towns is going to be a franchise player, we need to figure out how to keep him on the floor and protect him defensively. What's the best way to do that? Go get the best defensive player in the league. And you could see the logic behind it and it was ugly last year. And then you had them miss some time and you didn't actually get to see it. And I don't know. I I'm it's, it's a really interesting experiment. It might just go up in flames and not end up working at all. Like that, that's like a very real possibility. Yeah. Um, but it, it continues to me to be like what they need to do as a franchise, right? Like you have towns on that deal. you, you've managed to keep Edwards thus far and he, he uh, very much appears to be the franchise player that is, you're actually going to build around going forward. But like, you know, you can really make things make sense with, you know, Rudy Gobert and make a playoff run and, and do some of those things. And, and this is just a, it's maybe one of those situations where they fast tracked everything a little bit. Uh, this is, you know, kind of always the game you have to play when you have young guys that have had big seasons and are signing big contracts. How do you push forward? Maybe they, this is one of the ones that they screwed up on. Um, but we'll see. Cause year two of this experiment um, ha- has a chance to go in either direction. We're going to find out this year, I think for sure what the Gobert Towns thing looks like. I'll I'll save it for the over-unders podcast. I will tell people that Robbie Calland made like a really good uh, case to me for why this Minnesota team is going to go like over their over-under win total and be really, really good this year. That's not really the purpose of this podcast. So I'll kind of move forward from there and ask Eric this question. Uh, The big thing for me now is like the Jaden McDaniels deal. I think Jade McDaniels, like I am not accepting anything that does not start with one and feature eight zeros behind it. Uh, This is a nine figure player, I think. And if you're Minnesota and you have Carl town signed to an enormous deal, Rudy Gobert signed to an enormous deal, Edwards on a max, it gets a little bit complicated in terms of what you can offer Jaden McDaniels. But if I'm Jaden, 
I'm coming off of a season where I established myself as one of the five best perimeter defenders potentially in basketball. And I am a growing burgeoning offensive player who can really get shit done to me that this is one of, this is probably the most interesting negotiation in terms of his, uh, rookie extension that I can remember uh, in a while. I mean, my first, like my first thought on that is if I'm Jay McDaniels, that ain't my problem. I don't care how you build your team. Like I want my money. Like I I've shown just how good I can be. Um, And like, this is what I was talking about a little bit before, right? Like where, when you fast track it, it's not necessarily the move itself that doesn't work. It is how you fuck up your own salary cap in your yeah. roster building potential and all of that for the future. When guys like Jay McDaniels do break up, like, and you do need to pay them, you do need to figure out like, okay, he makes sense for the post go bear towns roster he makes sense next to anthony edwards that's the type of guy we should be able to prioritize but because we have these other contracts what are we gonna do and i mean it it is a spot where like you have to be thinking about like well suck it up and find your way out of the luxury tax some other way or find your way out of the deep luxury tax i should say some other way trade Gobert or Towns or whatever it may be for younger players. Like it shouldn't, the casual to me shouldn't be Jaden McDaniels. Like that's the type of foundational wing player that every team in the league wants to build around. And that should be someone that you want on your franchise. You got to figure out that other stuff. And uh, to me, that's why it's just like, you got to get it done and then figure out the other shit later. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to the Pelicans. Completely quiet offseason for the Pelicans. They ran it back with Herb Jones and actually did a really interesting thing. They decided to make him a free agent instead of getting another cheap year and just sign him to a four-year fifty-nine or $53.9 million deal straight and just lock him in for four years. Uh, re- really just an interesting choice. Clearly, they're committed to Herb Jones being a great defensive player in the league. And seeing where that leads them, it's a really interesting choice as well because they're a team currently led by Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, both of whom need floor spacing around them. And oh, by the way, Trey Murphy, it was just announced, is going to miss the next three months, basically. And that will lead to what, like a month of the season, something like that, like a month, potentially six weeks of the season if it really extends out. So feels a bit more concerning there. Uh, they signed Cody Zeller. They signed EJ Liddell, uh, Jackson Hayes, Garrett Temple, Willie Ernan Gomez, and Josh Richardson are gone. And they selected Jordan Hawkins at the draft. I mean, just not much here. And they're running it back and seeing where it leads. I got to say, Sam, I think it'd be pretty cool to see Zion Williamson play basketball. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, right? I would like Do- to see it. Doesn't it seem I like would. I've had some good times. I've, I've enjoyed kind of getting to see it. Uh, I would. I, I, I've gone to New Orleans once and seen him play, and it was it generally cool. I enjoyed myself. I thought it was cool to watch him play basketball. Um, you know, this is 
they figured some things out too with them a little bit like they started running them on ball like using him in like screening actions it got really fun Yeah. yeah man so to me this is you know clippers adjacent where it's just like what can you do until you know what's going on with the guy that matters the most and and that to me i I think is kind of where all of this gets interesting like you know i both of us are are good friends with seth part now and you know he had his thing about brandon ingram and the tears and like Ingram is interesting to me and it's interesting how his world cup has gone and stuff like that. But that like, that's all secondary. Like he's an interesting player, but he's not Zion. Zion is like where all of this is and it is what matters. And for me personally, it's hard to think too hard about everything else because if that dude isn't right, or if that dude is right, everything else falls into place or needs to be torn apart. And, and like, that's kind of how it, it, you get into these spots where we're talking about like a, an off season where they just ran it back or it was kind of boring. And to me, there's just nothing else you can do until you know more about that guy. And, um, you know, I've seen workout videos. I've seen him dunk in empty gyms. Again, cool, but I would prefer to watch him play basketball. And and to me, like that's just like the hold up with the Pelicans. Like I, I yeah. like some of the stuff they did. I think it's like those are some interesting deals, you know, that they've signed. Like Herb Jones was one of my favorite guys coming out of the draft that year. I had mocked him to the Bucks at thirty one or whatever it was, um, and like that seemed like a, a winner for them. So I've always been there. I, I like I think it's a favorable bet to to kind of structure that contract that way. So it's interesting, but again, it's not Zion interesting. That's where the yeah. interest in this team is in how you think about them long term, knowing more about that guy. That's the interesting part of it all. Yeah, I agree. Uh honestly, they just didn't do much. I will say Jordan Hawkins potentially became more important with the yep. Trey Murphy news. Like they are gonna need somebody who can shoot out there uh, a little bit more often next to uh, Zion and also like Jonas needs somebody who can shoot as well. Uh, That's an essential piece of this too, but we, we will see what this looks like (laughs) because this roster without Trey Murphy becomes very questionable in in terms of how it fits. I think Trey was kind of the linchpin for me on making these few stars here ingram zion and cj like really work and trey was on his way to becoming a star himself in my opinion so and and i was uh, gonna say too um you know like as the season goes on you just have like conversations with with people around the league about like you know what sticks out to you and i swear to you in december i did not talk about someone more than i talked about trey murphy with people around the league the whole league was like holy shit like yeah that's what this dude is doing like wow the pelicans yeah. are really interesting like with what they're assembling so like the injury really makes me sad because uh, i just think there was like so much excitement around the league and, and the thought about like oh man if you pair this with zion and you pair this brandon like everything was kind of building and to have what has happened with zion plus the Trey Murphy injury. I mean, it, it just really hurts. And it's really sad to see um, for someone who is, it felt like, you know, really starting to make 
those jumps. And yeah. when you make that first jump, there tends to be another one right after it. And, and yeah. now you're seeing that stunted and, and it's just really sad to see. Last team here, the New York Knicks. They signed Josh Hart to a four-year, $80.9 million extension that lasts through 2028. Last year is going to be a team option. They signed Dante DiVincenzo to a four-year, $47 million deal, has $3 million in incentives. They declined Derrick Rose's team option. Uh, they have an extension-eligible situation with Emmanuel Quickly that I find to be very interesting as well. And then they traded Obi Toppin to Indiana for two picks, basically ran it back. This Knicks team ran it back. I love this team. I think they're super fun to watch. I don't know what the upside is. I don't really care. Uh, To me, they're setting themselves up perfectly to be in like the star market at some point. Uh, If somebody like Joel, Giannis, et cetera, decides to ask out, that's kind of what they're doing. It feels like to me, but while they're waiting for that, they have a real fun team. And Tom Thibodeau, uh, there is no way that I think Tom Thibodeau is going to allow a team to finish 19th in defensive rating for two straight years uh, like this one, because there are enough pieces here to be a good defense. I mean, the big problem to me with signing Dante DiVincenzo is that Josh Hart's already on the team to make all the winning plays. So I don't know what Dante is supposed to do. Um, And I, I mean, obviously I got, to cover Dante for a couple of years. And uh, like, yeah. I just, I just think like having him Hart, and Brunson, like three Van- Villanova dudes that they just like know how to play and do the right thing. And yeah, maybe their size is a little bit funky and they're not quite right in certain ways or they don't shoot the ball well enough or they don't do this or that, but like in the end, they just make winning plays. And like, I, yeah. I, like there was a lot of places like where I thought, oh man, Dante would be a lot of fun there. The Knicks weren't high on the list because they already had Josh Hart, but it was like, <laughs> all right, screw it. Two of them, put them next to each other. And like, let's see what happens. Um, I, I think the the thing that makes me most sad about the Knicks is that I, I really don't like the pairing of Baird and Randall. Like I, I just yeah. think you have two power players at different positions. Like if you're looking at Barrett, that's like a power three. And if you're looking at Randall, that's like a power four, they get their buckets in similar ways. And like, it just feels like if those two guys are together, the court is not going to be spaced in a way that I feel is conducive to productive offensive basketball. And especially when you're big as Mitchell Robinson it just feels like it's always going to be crowded there. And like, they do have some creative players like Jalen Brunson step back game and spin move game. And all the things that he does can work in those tight spaces. And Dante does some interesting things. Josh Hart does like you can kind of find your ways around it, but like that trio for the potential that they have to me just doesn't work together. And I think that's like one of the interesting things about you know, this season for the Knicks is like, you know, I think adding DiVincenzo is like nice and good and like quickly I adore. Uh, I absolutely yeah. love his game. And like, to me, it there's, there's a lot of guys that I like on this team that I like the way that they play, but I just can't get over that spacing issue. And I'm curious about, you mentioned, 
building a bunch of pieces from a contract perspective and a roster perspective and young player perspective that like, okay, you could be in the star market at some point, like you could make sense for that. Um, I'm just curious about like the patience that they have. And, and I think they've exhibited more of that in the last like two years where it's like, okay, there's, they're slowly building. It's not like the, we got to make a move and win a championship this year Knicks anymore like there is some sense in in the team building that they're doing but I am curious if there is a breaking point at some point like just because like for me because I don't like that space issue I'd be like all right let's find a way to get one of these dudes out of town and bring in something that makes more sense but if you do that then you might not have the contracts that you need to make the big trade that you need to do at the end or, or whatever it may be. So to me, that's like where this team gets interesting because I think they're going to be good again. As you said, Tibbs is going to make sure that they're a good defensive team. They have enough stuff offensively that they, that they're going to win games and make the Eastern conference playoffs. But like I, the patience that they've exhibited, I'm curious to see if they can continue to exhibit going forward. I think this front office is really good, Eric. Like I, Yeah. I think that it's really good. I think that Leon Rose knows what he's doing. It seems like he has James Dolan's like trust at this yeah. point too. And look, that could change, right? Like we're not going to sit here and pretend like uh, James Dolan, like isn't sometimes an impulsive owner. So you just never know. But everything I've seen from them since Leon Rose took over is patience to a T, yeah. right? And signing smart, good contracts. That Josh Josh Hart deal is a smart, good contract, I think. Uh, The Dante deal is a good contract. Honestly, what I've kind of been wondering is if they signed the Dante deal knowing that they could get him for $12 a year, thinking that Emmanuel quickly is going to want 20 to 25 a year and that Dante can offer you some percentage of what quickly offers you. And it's worth it's worth having the cheaper deal on your books for the next four years, as opposed to having quickly expensive deal on the books. Um, that's kind of like, I wonder if that's like kind of what the extension situation is setting up, what sure. everything is setting up like a potential move. Um, it's a fascinating roster build. I love that they didn't go overboard this off season. And I love that they just continue to accumulate these winning guys um, because yeah. Jalen Brunson has set up the, along with having the CAA pipeline, has set up the Villanova pipeline uh, from the Jay Wright days. And they're really, really well positioned, I think, to be uh, a fun team to watch this year. Uh, I, I love, I think they're going to be really good again. I think they're going to win a lot of games and we'll see what happens moving forward, but they've been patient and they've been smart and I I love what they did. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you again. I, it's man we really like a lot of what the league has done good in the league for being like smart like i i truly i I thought this was an off season where i had very few complaints like houston i've like processed complaints um you know i'm trying to think like a few other teams like i felt like i've not been quite as hard on teams this off season it feels like there have been fewer dumbfounding decisions where I can't quite understand the logic, like Chicago running it back from 
like a, you know, 40 win team or whatever they were last year. That was a strange one that I didn't love. Uh, we'll see what happens with Portland and what they get back from Dame. We'll see what happens with Philly. If they have to move Harden, like it, it was harder for me to come up with some disaster off seasons this year. Uh, I thought they were all like somewhat logical. Yeah. I mean, it may just be a function of not having a ton of money out there. Like we're, mo- we're like, is like agents right. as well. Yeah. Like it, it the, situation as a whole the environment kind of lended itself to a boring or like logical off season and most teams like came through on it yeah i think that's right eric uh let's get out of here we've been on for an hour and 40 minutes i told you it'd be like an hour 20 and i kept i knew it wouldn't be i've I've talked basketball with you before i knew that wasn't it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen (laughs) uh eric tell the people what you've got coming up tell the people where they can find your work tell the people all about everything yeah, man. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Eric underscore name. Same thing on Instagram. You can find me at The Athletic, uh, writing about the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, this is exciting for me. This is going to be the first time in five years I'm writing about a new coach in new like <laughs> tactics and schemes. And that's yeah. not to say Bud didn't make like adjustments, but like it was small adjustments as opposed to grandiose like idea <laughs> changes and phil- like philosophy changes. So I'm I'm actually like genuinely quite excited about this season because it, it'll be i think a lot of fun to see where things go at the start of this year so yeah if you want to grab anything at the athletic uh i believe when this comes out we're still gonna be running a dollar a month subscription deal sure. so uh dollar a month for the next 12 months you can read all about all of the interesting things or the different things maybe they're not interesting but they'll be different um that the bucks are doing this year so come along for the ride I don't know. There, If there are any, there are very few beat writers that I think do a better job than Eric does. Go listen to him. Go read his work. He is the best. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe. Go to that YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button. You're going to be able to watch everything that we just talked about. You're going to be able to see nice graphics that make sense, that line up and really help you see and visualize everything that we're going through. Um, and Again, I'm on vacation this week, so you will have two podcasts that are the NBA win total over-unders with Robbie Callen. Those will come out Tuesday and Thursday. And then on, it might be Tuesday, Friday. And then on Sunday, I will be in the Gold Coast uh, for the NBL Blitz, seeing all the many draft prospects. I don't know what my schedule will be like podcast-wise after these three that I've pre-recorded go out. But keep it locked here. I promise you there will be more shows. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.